This morning, as we continue through our series through the book of John, if you haven't been here, if you've been here, and you uh, just to kind of remind us what's going on as uh, I preach through books, I feel like this is a very important thing. We're going to see one reason why in just a minute. Uh, but what we see is that we're walking through the book of John. In the book of John, the, the major purpose, the overall theme that's going on here is found in John chapter 20, verses uh 30 and 31, and I'm going to read it to you. This is now Jesus did many signs in the in many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. That John is writing this book, he's writing this letter to the church so that. For the purpose of that those that read it and those that see the signs and the wonders and the the miracles of Christ may believe that Christ is the Son of God and that in believing in Him they would have eternal life through Him. And so when we read through the book of John, it's important that we note and focus on Christ. Just like it's important that we do that through all of Scripture, but specifically John's letter because he's spelling it out for us. This is why he's writing this letter for us. So that we could see the miracles of Christ, so that we can know that he's the Son of God, and so that we could believe upon him. And then, so what's going on now in the context of where we're at and what we're going to read in just a moment, what we found ourselves is in John chapter 6. And we've been in that. This makes the fourth week we've been in John chapter 6. And really what's so amazing about John chapter 6 is it's really in the span of a couple days. And so it's just a lot of information that's happening in a couple days. Um, most commonly what we know is the first two encounters that we see in John 6, John 1 uh, 6, 1 through 15 is Jesus feeding the 5,000 men to around 20,000 individuals. After that is 16 through 21 where Christ walks on the water. And then last week we looked at the fact that Christ... Um, the next day, the crowd gets up. They couldn't find Jesus on that side of the sea. So they go to Capernaum looking for him. And when they look for him, he ends up teaching. And when he teaches, he really just explains that, um, that he is proclaimed. He proclaimed that they were to believe in the one who was sent from the Father. And this is because he was the true man from heaven. And thus he saves and secures those whom the Father draws to salvation. And in that, we that come to Christ in salvation can find great joy joy and rest in the Father. And what we saw in all that, though, is this idea that He was the true manna from heaven. And we're going to pick back up on that saying this morning because we're just picking back up on this conversation. We just took a break from it. We're picking back up on the next part of this conversation. And the reason why I said earlier that I love preaching through books, and one reason I find it so important, is because so often texts like John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59 get missed so often we don't even think about verses like this because really if you could see on my screen here this word cannibalism now does anybody know what the word cannibalism means yes i think we all understand that it means eating another person right eating the flesh of another individual and what we're going to see in this is that jesus is laying down this truth that is very very uh, hard to understand but also just hard to receive in general and it's this idea that we must eat of his body and drink of his blood and we're going to look at this in more detail later but if you were there and if I was there and we heard Jesus say this word, we would have been just like the Jews. We would have responded the same way they responded. 
And so it's important that when we read this, we look at the meaning of it and not look at the negativity of how these individuals responded to Christ's teaching because I would have responded the same way. But we're going to go into that in detail in just a minute. But if you would, let's stand and let's read this together. We're going to be in John chapter 6. We're going to be in 52 through uh, the end of the chapter, which is 71. It says this, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father who feeds uh, whoever, so because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not, the, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And then verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do not take offense at this. this uh, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who were did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. After this, many uh, of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, uh, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we stand before your word we stand before your speaking to us through the word that you've provided through many men through century long fathers through for a long long time god there's no error in it it is infallible it is true and it is honest father and this morning as we open it up and we read about two really hard truths to swallow sometimes God, I pray that you illuminate our spirit, you open up our eyes, you open up our heart so that we can understand exactly it is what you're saying to us this morning. And God, my prayer is that each and every one of us can respond as Peter does and say, to whom shall we go but you? For you are the Son of God that speaks life and brings eternal life to all who trust in you. Dear Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our minds. Be with me, place me behind your word. Let your word speak and let me just be a mouthpiece for them. In your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. Be seated. This morning, as I said before and as you read with me, you can see where this is almost uh, initially very confusing, if, if not uh, at best. And at worst, it is very, very off-putting that Christ would 
stand before the crowd and uh, what we know is going on here is we don't know that this is the full 20,000. We know that it's not. But what we do know is that a great number of those that he fed, those that he fed the bread and the fish, had followed him to Capernaum and they find him. And when they find him, they ask him where he goes. And then he tells them that they, they are seeking one that's going to feed them, not a Messiah, ultimately. And then he goes into this teaching and he's saying, I am the true manna from heaven. That did, and then he goes into it, and you saw as I read, and as you read along, that he says that you must eat of my body and drink of my flesh. He says it four different times. This is a very off-putting message. This is a hard message to receive. And what is it that Christ is really saying to those in the crowd that day and to us today? But one thing I do want to know is regardless of how many people were in the crowd, the only ones that stayed behind were the twelve. And we're going to see exactly why they stayed behind and exactly why they were the ones that trusted in Christ. And so when we see all of this, I want us to kind of look at this main point of this text, and I want to look at the main point of the sermon as well. And what we see in the text overall is that one cannot have eternal life unless they eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ. And this occurs when the Father draws the individual through the Spirit. This is ultimately what Christ is saying through all of this. And now we're going to go in detail of what it means to eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ. But what we're going to see in the main point of the sermon is that unless we look upon Christ and salvation by eating and drinking of His blood we cannot be saved but this is not of our own ability for we are saved when the father draws us through the spirit to trust in christ for salvation and this is the idea of everything that christ is saying here he's getting at this we actually are going to see that he says that these people wouldn't even believe if they saw him ascend back into heaven and we're going to see why that is the case this morning but first and foremost let's look at verse 51 and 52 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will not, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Christ is saying right here, I am the true manna from heaven. I have ascended from heaven. I have come down, descended from heaven. I have descended from heaven. I have come down to earth. And it's alluding to his birth, right? We know that he was born to the virgin. He lived a life that we should have and could not. And he lived up to about 30, 31 years, 33 years, something of that nature. And then he starts his ministry. And when he starts his ministry, he begins to teach and proclaim the kingdom of God. And what we see in this right here, he's saying, look, I am the true manna. I am God himself. I have come down from heaven. And if those who will seek eternal life, they have to eat my flesh. And then verse 52, the Jews then dispute among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, we're going to go in detail on this later, but I would have responded the same way. If, if a man was sitting up here teaching, and he was just presenting and talking, and I heard that for me to be saved, I had to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, I would probably be going through the back door. We're just going to be real. We're going to throw it out there. It's just the honest truth. Is that's probably exactly what I, was going to, what I would be doing in this moment. And so I would not be much different than the Jews were, and neither would you. You would be arguing, and you would be complaining, and you would be questioning what Christ is saying. But there's more reason to that. Why would we question this? Why would we question that Christ is saying that we must eat of his flesh? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's pretty clear that in the Old Testament that cannibalism is wrong. Um, and it's actually one of the only things I haven't seen in the Levitical law spelt out that you shall not eat another person's body. Uh, but we do see that even in the Levitical law that it was unclean for them to touch a dead body. 
That even it was a family member or a loved one that if they touched the dead body, they would have to go out on the outskirts of the city for seven days until this ritual was completed and they would then be clean again. And so these Jews that are upholding this law are trying to understand why he's telling them to first and foremost to eat his body. And then secondly, what we also see is that in Deuteronomy 12, 23, it says this, Not only be sure that you do not eat of the blood, for the blood is the life, and shall not eat the life with flesh. You shall not eat it, you shall, not, and, uh, you shall pour it on the earth like water. So in Deuteronomy, we see this other law that when they were to eat the animals that were even clean, that they could not eat of the blood. So uh, in the Levitical law, they couldn't eat. Um, I don't think they could eat beef anyhow. But uh, what we see in what. And what we see in this is though they could not eat rare steaks, right? They could not eat of the blood. They had to cook it all out. They could not have eaten the fat. They had my form of steaks, no fat, no blood. I was, I'd be perfectly fine in that. But what we see in all of this is that they, they know, they understand the law of God. And the law of God is that, you're, one, you're not supposed to eat of any blood of any animal. And two, you're not supposed to touch a dead body. So when Christ is presenting this, he's saying this to them. Uh, other than just the, the upfront obscurity to it, uh, upfront just audacity to say that you must eat of my body and drink of my blood to be saved, the Levitical law steps in place and it would prevent them to doing so. And so is he saying that you physically have to do this, that you have to do this in a physical sense? They, they don't understand here. They just don't understand what he's saying here. Um, but the beauty of who Christ is, and so often we see how he explains himself, that he, in verses, the first 52 verses, he's given an overview of it, and he's about to just go farther in depth and go farther and farther into the statement. So if you would, let's look at 53 through 59. It says, and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, the Son of Man is He. He is the Son of Man. He's already declared, I am the Son of Man. Then He goes on and says, and, and drink of His blood. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds of My flesh and drinks of My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For My flesh is the true food, and My blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds of my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in him, and I and, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died, but whoever feeds on my bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So what Christ is saying here, just to sum it up just a little bit, He's saying that you must eat of my body and drink of my blood because I am the true manna from heaven. I am the true bread from heaven, not of the bread that the Israelites ate in the wilderness where they ate it and eventually they, they still died. That if you take and you eat of my body and my blood, my bread, my wine, my drink, my water, then what it is, it is eternal life to you. But why is this the case? Why is he using this analogy? Well, later we're going to look at communion and see the comparison there. But ultimately, what we see in this is that when you go back to the Levitical law, the reason why they could not eat the blood of the animal is because that was the lifeblood of the animal. That's what was considered the lifeblood of the animal. And what Christ is getting at here is that we need something besides our body and our blood to save us. That we have to have the life of somebody else, of something greater than ourselves, something that's more mighty than ourselves, and that 
that is Christ. That His body and His blood is perfect. His body and His blood is a sacrifice for humanity to come to Him in salvation. That He is sent by the Father. And so those who eat and drink of His body and blood have eternal life through Him. Now, obviously, we're at the point where I can say, and if you did not already know, He's not physically talking about eating the body and drinking of the blood. Though there is some religious groups that think that somehow magically during the communion service that the body, the bread physically turns into his body and the wine physically turns into his blood. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we're talking about here is looking to Christ and salvation, trusting in him, taking and eating and drinking of the sacrifice that he has made for us so that we can have eternal life through him and that we will never truly die. Not that we won't physically die in this earth, but that we won't die eternity and face the wrath of God. Then we get to verse 60. We see about three different times some questioning going on here. In verse 60 it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So let's take a step back and let's be honest. Let's look at it once again that a man is standing before them. This man that they surrendered their life to. They're following after him. And the crowds are ones that even traveled through a sea to get to him. Or standing there, he's presenting to them, Eat of my body, drink of my flesh, and you shall be saved. And the disciples hear it and they think, This is a hard thing to receive. And is it not? Is it not a very difficult thing to see receive? Is that this idea that's physically receiving the body and blood of Christ? We would have responded and we would have thought the same thing. But then when you get to verse 61 through 65, he goes on. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense of this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were who uh, those who were do not believe me. And it was who would betray him. That Christ, in verse 64, what we see is that Christ understood who would believe in him and who would not and who would betray him. And then verse 65 says, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father granted him, unless it is granted him by the Father. So what we see going on, and I just want to start in verse 65, is that no one can come to Christ in salvation unless it is granted to him by the Father. And that is why when we read verse 61, he says, do you take offense to this? And then in 62, and that is why, uh, and then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Christ is saying, look, first and foremost, I am the one that descended from heaven. I am the true manna from God. I ascend, descended onto the earth. And what is, if you saw me ascending back into heaven, if you saw the skies open, and you saw me ascending back into heaven, He's asking this question, but He's not really asking it. He's making a statement here, as He so often does. He's saying here that if, I, if you witnessed me ascending back into heaven, you still could not believe that I am the Son of God, that I am the one that has come from heaven. Why is that the case? Why is it that these people would not even believe if he ascended, if they physically saw him ascend back into heaven? As we saw the twelve disciples did, right? They at the at the end of math at the beginning of at the end of his life, after the Great Commission, we see that the skies open up, he sends back to heaven, the angels look down and say, uh, Son of man, why are you looking up? We see that this happens, and those disciples that follow after him witness this and experience this. 
But he's saying to him here that if I if you see me you seen me descend, but even if you see me ascend, you won't believe in me. You won't trust in me. But why is that the case? Why is something so obvious would cause him not to believe in him? But we got to take a step back and we got to realize that he had just fed many of these people the bread that came from nowhere. The, the, the fish that came from nowhere and they still didn't believe in him. They, they still didn't believe in him through the miracle, through the sign that was performed that they inter- ingested themselves. They, they still not believed in him. Why is that? Because in verse 65, and they said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And then in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That Christ is saying that unless the Spirit draws you, unless the Father grants it to you, the Spirit calls you to myself and to salvation, you cannot be saved. You cannot come to me in salvation. That your flesh, your understanding, your ability, your merit, none of that is good enough. That you have to trust in me and it is an outcome of the Father working on your heart and mind. This is why when we evangelize, this is why when we go out and share the gospel with people, or even when you sit at home and you pray for your child, that they would come to Christ in salvation at that time in their life, that they would know Him, they would be saved by Him, or your grandkids, or your family, or your friends, or your loved ones, that you would pray that God would work on their heart, is because God is the one that is calling them to Himself through the Spirit of God. And then verse 68 we move on to this moment that so often when we do read this encounter, we focus on this. We so often focus on people that we can relate to, like Peter. That's why when I looked at walking on water, we looked at the fact that John does not talk about Peter at all like the other Matthew's account does. Because so often we look to the men as examples rather than to Christ as the true example. But what we see in this, we don't look at Peter. Let's look at what Peter's response is. And let's just pray that we can have the same response. But we're going to see why Peter has this response. Verse 66, it says, And after many of his disciples turned back, they no longer walked with him. That that Christ presented these two hard things to swallow. The first one is that they had to eat and drink of the body of himself. And then the second thing was that they could not save themselves, that the law was not good enough, and that they could not come to the Son by themselves, that they had to be drawn by the Father. They, they receive these two hard things. They don't receive it. They walk away. They leave the teaching of Christ. They walk away from Him. And then in verse 68, 67, Jesus, so Jesus said to the twelve, all of the other disciples left. Everybody else is gone. He looks at the twelve. I say everybody else is gone. I can't say that. I don't know that to be true, but this is how I imagine it. Is all of the crowd is gone. All of the ones that were seeking after him, all of the ones that were trying to be his disciples left him, and the twelve were there alone. He looks at him with this almost this disappointed disappointment in his heart, which I don't see why, but he, he looks at him with this this pity for the people that just left because his longing and love for them. And he asked the twelve this question Do you want to go as well? Do you want to leave as well? Do you want to reject this truth as well? And then Simon, in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and you have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That where else are we going to go? Where else can we find the salvation that you provide? There is nowhere else. He's doing the same thing Christ just did. He's asking a rhetorical question because the answer is nowhere. There is nowhere else these disciples could go. There is nowhere else we could go but to the Father, to the Son, and for salvation. 
And so the response, his response here is just beautiful. But his response is possible because he has already been called by the Father into salvation. That his, his spirit's already been illuminated. That God's already working in his life. That he's already believed in the one, Christ Jesus. And so he looks to Jesus. He tells them, where else are we to go? Where else can we go? Then verse 70, Jesus said to them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus answered them and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? The, the thing we don't need to miss here is that he's not necessarily saying that he's called these twelve to salvation, but he's called them to himself for a purpose. And the eleven disciples, in my honest opinion, the eleven disciples besides uh, Judas were called to Jesus, was saved by Christ, and then Judas was not. Now we do see a glimpse of his repentance at the end of his life, but I don't know if that's convincing to, to say that he's come to Christ in salvation. And that's not my, I, I wasn't there, I don't know his heart, but I think clearly through scripture we can paint this picture that he is a devil and that he is the one that betrayed Christ and he is the one that has rejected Christ. And so what we see in all of this is that Christ saying here, look, I've called you to myself and because I've called you to myself, you can answer this, you can say this. And so what we see in all of this so far, though, is that we must eat and drink of the blood of Christ because that brings us salvation. We can only do that when God the, God the Father illuminates our hearts through the Spirit of Himself. And so that we can respond, we can repent, we can turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus for our salvation. Now, there's a lot of things that we can note here, but the one I, I think we must note and we have to look at is found in Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 29. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. You don't have to turn with me. I'll read it. And it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, He took it, and He gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body. And then He took the cup, and when He gave thanks for it, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you for the many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This, this language is the same. This, this comments are the same. He's saying the same analogy of my body is the, my body is the bread and my cup is, uh, my blood is the cup that this is the forgiveness of sins. And so, not saying that communion saves us, not saying that Lord's Supper saves us by no stretch of the imagination, but what I am saying is that there is a purpose behind communion, and that purpose is to remind us of the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled for us, so that we could come to Him in salvation, so that we could trust in Him. So when we take of communion, the first thing it does is it reminds us of the body and the blood that was spilled for our salvation. And this is why when you read Paul's letter in Corinthians, he says, take this often. Now, so often we don't know how often is often, but he's saying, take this often. Why? Because it is a reminder and is a picture of the gospel for you that you take before you, you participate in, you trust in, and you know it's true in your life. And the second thing is, not only do we look at this and we trust in Christ and salvation, not only is it a reminder of the salvation that we are saved from, uh, saved with, but it's also a picture of looking forward to the second coming of Christ when we will drink again the fruit of the vine with Christ Jesus in His Father's kingdom. And so when we see this picture of Jesus teaching in John chapter 6 and Matthew uh, 26, the communion here, ultimately what we have to see from this is that our salvation is from the Lord Jesus Christ alone. 
that we are saved by Christ when the Spirit calls us as the Father appoints. And so when we come to Him in salvation, we may repent, we may turn away from our sins, we still do that, we still work in that man, man, mindset, but it is a work of God that causes us to work in that mindset. So our salvation is a work of God and a God alone. And the beauty of that is, as we looked at last week, is that God is the one that saves and maintains our salvation. So this morning, as we get ready to come to a close, well, first and foremost, let's look to Christ and salvation. Because these may be hard words to receive. These may be difficult for us to understand. These may be hard for us to accept at times that we have to eat of His blood and drink of His... We've got to eat of His body and drink of His blood and that He is the one that causes salvation in our hearts. This may be hard to receive at times. But the joy in it is that if it was up to us to save ourselves, we would lose our salvation 20 times over. And then let's be reminded of the salvation that is found through Christ. If you're here this morning, my prayer is that us as a congregation, us that know Christ, if you're here and you know without a doubt you have been called by God, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you have surrendered your life to Him, my prayer is that in this moment, as Troy's going to come in just a second, he's going to play How He Loves, which is a beautiful song for this. He's going to play How He Loves. And when we sing this song, we glorify God together. Let us stand, let us proclaim, just like the Israelites did as they crossed over the Red Sea, that they immediately began to sing and praise God for their salvation. Let us do the same thing this morning. Let us praise and glorify God for the salvation that He's given us. For many that may be here that doesn't know Christ, that have not surrendered your life to Him, that have not come to Him for the redeeming sacrifice of Christ, that, that you have not received the calling of God through the Spirit, then my prayer, my earnest call, my pleading, whatever word you want to use there, my begging, is that you would respond to the Gospel today. Don't let pride or arrogance or anything else get in the way of you responding to the gospel because the gospel is, saves those that are lost and they are saved when, the God, when God calls them. And so if God is calling you this morning, my prayer is exactly that, that God would save you, that you would repent and turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus. As Troy comes, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now, we thank you for the body and the blood that was broken and spilled out for us. The blood that was poured out on the ground for our namesake. The body that was beaten and bruised and nailed to a tree to take on the curse of sin, Father, just as the Israelites had to look to a staff with a snake wrapped around it, becoming the curse. Father, we look to the, the staff with the, the curse wrapped around it, Father. The curse of your punishment, the curse of your wrath, the curse of your shame being poured out on our Savior, our Lord, our Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. God, because of that, we glorify you. We praise you. We lift our voice. We lift our hands. We stand. We do whatever it is that causes us to rejoice. Father, but we rejoice to you. Because our salvation is in you and you alone. And Father, I pray that if there's any here that doesn't know that, have not surrendered to that, that you're calling this morning, that you're moving, you're shaking, you, you, you're softening their heart just a little bit, Father, that if today is that day, God, that they would respond accordingly. And if they don't respond today, God, continue to work on that heart. Pray that none, none that walk in this church will see hell, God, but I will await you and be with you in your kingdom forever and forevermore. 
We love you. We thank you. We glorify you. Your son's perfect and holy name. Amen.